All right, so Matt, what do you call a whale that doesn't wear underwear? <laughs> I don't know any that do. I don't know what. Free Willy. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody. Here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm I'm doing all right. Good deal. Good deal. It's, uh, I, I don't know what season we're in with Texas weather. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's uh, first summer, I think, is what it is. Yeah, and then we'll, first summer we'll get third winter here in a couple days and then right, right. we'll get first spring then second summer then second spring i mean it's all jacked up but yeah, yeah. so yeah, I, it I, is i i was at a softball game last night yeah and that's why i was sitting there going i mean christmas was like six weeks ago mm-hmm. and i'm i'm out at a ballpark mm-hmm. um Fortunately, it was it was fairly warm here, um, but w- we were under wind advisory, so the wind was blowing, and the wind made it colder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're all out there covered up. You know, we got blankets and hoodies and all kinds of stuff on. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's like we're gonna force spring to come. <laughs> we're screw it. We're gonna we're doing all the spring stuff now. Mm-hmm. It's mid-February. Oh, yeah. It don't matter. I mean, <laughs> I've seen spring bugs come out already. There's certain yeah. bugs that are flying around that I don't see until spring. It's weird. But, uh, I mean, like I said, it'll we'll get another cold snap, kill them all, and then, you know, start over again. So, right, right. Um, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're proud to be associated with, and it guarantee you you're going to find a show in there that you like that you may not find anywhere else. So go check them out at podbelly.com. We want to thank tonight's sponsor, HelloFresh, and we'll talk a little bit more about them later. While you're online doing all your online stuff that you don't want to tell your significant other about, go over to patreon.com slash graveyardtales and sign up to become a patron. And we have multiple different levels. Our $10 a month patrons, they get the video version of us recording these episodes with extras in there that I don't cut out. They get the audio version ad-free. If we happen to have ads that week, we'll put an ad-free version up there for them. Plus, they get the bonus episode audio and video every week. And then our $5 gets audio and video of a bonus episode, and our $1 gets audio of the bonus episode. So go over there, check it out, find a level that you appreciate, and don't worry. it's not. Like, you're not committed to a two-year contract like you are with a phone. If you say, hey, I want to do $10 a month, but I can only do that for two months, and then I got to go down to one, you're perfectly fine doing that. You can do it. You can switch levels. You can cancel if you would like to. So don't think you're stuck, but go over there, check it out. And if you feel like helping us out, I mean, our patrons are the reason that we can keep doing this show. 
Granted, our sponsors help out a lot, but by doing that, you have to buy something with our vanity code, our vanity URL there that we get for the show. And if you can't be become a patron, do the vanity URL and buy something from one of yeah. our sponsors. But either yeah. way, that helps support Graveyard Tales and it keeps us going and it helps us to be able to produce good audio and video quality for you guys. Yeah, and look, we've got a a special that's going on right now. If you if you cancel your Patreon membership, um, our our good friend Tony Knuckles is going to come <laughs> visit you at your house. And you know, <laughs> I don't know what Tony. Don't lie. His name's Jim. I'm, I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> we appreciate everybody that has that has signed up for any length of time. It, it all helps. We appreciate it so much. Yep, absolutely. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, and that's HelloFresh. And y'all have heard us talk about HelloFresh before, but we've got to tell you about it again. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that will send you fresh ingredients and easy meals right to your door and like i said they make mealtime easy with delicious recipes made with fresh wholesome ingredients delivered to your door and there's no lines that you gotta wait in there's no hassle just great tasting meals that you can whip up and enjoy in the comfort of your own home and march happens to be national nutrition month and HelloFresh actually makes it easy to choose delicious dietitian approved meals so all you have to do is look for the dietitian win tag on their menu and it'll give you meals under 700 calories and with one third less sodium so that, i mean how could that be any simpler you just say hey I, i'm gonna find the dietitian win because i, I want to be a little healthier and pff, they make it so easy for you yeah and they're not only are the meals delicious, but as Adam said, they're easy to make. I mean, you know, they're chef crafted seasonal recipes. They come with ingredients that are already pre-portioned. If you if you need a a tablespoon of black pepper, then you get a tablespoon of black pepper or whatever spice or seasoning you need for that recipe. It cannot get any easier. And Look, if you're if you're really looking into fitness, getting that extra protein is so important and it's easier than ever with HelloFresh now. Just check for the protein smart tag on their menu to quickly find recipes that have 30 grams of protein or more, like the one pot pork and black bean chili. Oh, oh that's good. And this one, the creamy Dijon dill chicken unbelievable man i love that creamy dill chicken we we've gotten it several times because i love it so much yeah and and my kids love that one too um but what else my family loves about hello fresh is when they see that hello fresh box on the front porch when they get home from school they know all right tonight's dinner is going to be delicious and it's going to be fun because we're all going to get to participate as a family. Um, and it really takes that family dinner night a step forward. Yeah, they they 
think uh, I don't have to eat dad tacos again. I can eat something good. (laughs) And look here, you know, this dad tacos from Helen. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, you know that Adam and I love HelloFresh. And if you want to get on board with them, all you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard60. That's G-R-A-V-E. Y-A-R-D-6-0, and using that code, Graveyard60, to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's right. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard60 and use our code, Graveyard60, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-6-0, and you'll get 60% off plus free shipping. So, Matt, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, uh, this is perhaps the most notorious witch trial of the 17th century. Um, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tale of, of, of darkness. It's a tale of fear. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. Twelve people were accused of witchcraft. One died while held in custody. Eleven went to trial. One was tried and found guilty in York, and the other ten were tried at in uh, in Lancaster, uh, in England. And only one of them was found not guilty. So tonight, Adam and I are going to dive into the story of the Pendle Hill Witches. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, this is one of these that I, I, had, I had known this story for a long time. Um, and, and in my head, I just, I'd always, Salem Witch Trials, Pendleton Witches, Pendle Witches, all this. And it was just. Hey, they did this really terrible stuff where they accused these women and, and men of being witches and they burned them or hanged them or whatever. I, you know, I didn't have the detail that we were able to get mm-hmm. for this episode. And it's it's amazing. It really is. Um, yeah. This this is by far the the most well documented of any witch trial mm-hmm. uh in history and um we're going to talk about that too um i know we've gotten is, a lot of people ask for us to do this episode so there's yeah several people out there that are clapping now because we finally got to this <laughs> topic hopefully not golf clap like finally you <laughs> stupid <laughs> right <laughs> i've been telling you for six months <laughs> Oh, but just like with everything, we we need to we need to kind of look at the history and the background uh, of what was going on at the time and what led up to this. So, uh, Adam, take it away, brother. All right. So, as we always say, go check our sources down in the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found this information, and you can expand on the information because I guarantee you, there's no way we could cover it all because there is so much. Um, so go down there, bottom of the show notes and check our sources. Um, now the story of the Pendle Hill, Witches is probably the most notorious of the 17th century, 
But it's only one of the many dark tales uh, like this of imprisonment and execution at Lancaster Castle. So when you look into Lancaster Castle historical documents, it talks about this, about the Pendle Hill witches. So this is coming this is coming from their historical documents. It says on March 18th, 1612, a young woman by the name of Allison Device was out begging on the road to Cologne. She stopped a peddler from Halifax, John Law, and asked him for a pen. He refused her request and walked away. According to Allison's own testimony, her familiar spirit, in the shape of a dog, appeared to her and asked if she would like to harm Law. Allison was new, apparently, to the art of witchcraft, and, you know, it seems that she was kind of resistant to being indoctrinated into what was, in fact, in, in fact the family business. But now she agreed that law must be punished, and she told the dog to lame the peddler. So no doubt, to her great surprise, the curse took immediate effect, and law fell to the ground paralyzed down one side, presumably, they say, by a stroke, and unable to speak. He was taken to a local inn, and later Allison was brought to his bedside. She admitted her part in his illness and begged his forgiveness, which he gave. However, Law's son Abraham had become involved, and he was far from satisfied. He took the matter to Roger Noel, the local magistrate, and from there things snowballed at an alarming rate. After hearing the most awful admissions from those he interviewed, Noel made many arrests, and by the end of April, 19 people, including a group of a group from Samlesbury and Isabel Roby from Wendell, were incarcerated at Lancaster Castle, awaiting trial at the August Assizes. Now, we've kind of tangentially discussed this on other episodes, but I want to look into it a little bit deeper specifically for this episode, and that's the Malleus Maleficarum. Now, I have a link in the sources down there to a sacred text link, and you can go on that link and read the entire Malleus Maleficarum if you would like. So I pulled some of that, some of this information from there and some from other sources, but let's look at it. Now, This is just an Encyclopedia Britannica uh, definition of what the Malleus Maleficarum is. It's Latin for hammer of witches, and it detailed legal and theological documents regarded as the standard handbook on witchcraft, including its detection and its extirpation until well into the 18th century. Its appearance did much to spur on and sustain two centuries of witch-hunting hysteria in Europe. Now, the Malleus was the work of two Dominicans, Johann Sprenger, dean of the University of Cologne in Germany, and Heinrich Kramer, professor of theology at the University of Salzburg, Austria, and inquisitor of the Tyrol region in Austria. In 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued the Bull Summis Desiderantes Affectibus, in which he deplored the spread of witchcraft in Germany and authorized Sprenger and Kramer to extirpate it. 
So the Malleus codified the folklore and beliefs of the Alpine peasants and was dedicated to the implementation of Exodus 22:18, quote, "You shall not permit a sorceress to live." End quote. So the work is divided into three parts. Part one, the reality and the depravity of witches is emphasized, and any disbelief in demonology is condemned as heresy. So even if you don't believe in demonology, that's heretical. Yeah, just just by going, yeah, this is all a bunch of hooey. I don't believe any of this. Right. You know, I mean, you you could you could get in some hot water, uh, sometimes literally. <laughs> um, you know, by just by just admitting that, right? That you you didn't believe in it, right? So, because of the nature of the enemy, any witness, no matter what his credentials, may testify against an accused. Now, part two is a compendium of fabulous stories about the activities of witches. So it says, e.g., diabolic compact, sexual relations with the devil, incubi and succubi, transvection, which is night writing, and uh, metamorph- metamorphosis. So it them changing shape. Now, part three is a discussion of the legal procedures to be followed in witch trials. Torture is sanctioned as a means of securing confessions. Lay and secular authorities are called upon to assist the inquisitors in the task of exterminating those whom Satan has enlisted in his cause. Now, the Malleus went through 28 editions between 1486 and 1600 and was accepted by Roman Catholics and Protestants alike as an authoritative source of information concerning Satanism and as a guide to Christian defense. Yeah, I mean, it was like the 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 handbook. Right. You know, how, how to deal with witches in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what it was. Right, right. Now, I read a good amount of the Malleus Maleficarum off of that sac- sacred text link that I had, but I needed another way to say it because it was in an older form of English and translated a few times. And so it was difficult for a lot of people to understand. There's some things in there that I didn't understand. So I found a good synopsis of each section. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to go through a synopsis of the section here, and we can kind of see what this was all about. Now, one section is women and midwives. So the manual charges that witchcraft was mostly found among women. The manual bases this on the idea that both good and evil in women tend to be extreme. After providing many stories of women's vanity, tendency toward lying, and weak intellect, the Inquisitors also allege that a woman's lust is at the basis of all witchcraft, thus making witch accusations also sexual accusations. Now, what kind of crap is all that? Uh, I like the uh, the tendency for lying. Yeah. What? Yep. Tendency I mean, toward it, lying. And what what kills me is the weak intellect part. Because it's yeah. like, 
the, the people writing this book, I guarantee you, their spouses, their wives were smarter than these dummies were. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, hist- history has proven that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, as a group, men men will have a tendency to screw stuff up. <laughs> well, it's like, that, it's like that joke. That's why men usually die first. Mm-hmm. It is because we do something stupid to cause the death. Yeah. So hey, watch this. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean but, this this just expands and and gives examples of the way women were looked at during that time, right? And and I, unfortunately, hundreds of years later, people still have this kind of mentality. Yeah, some people um, do. You know, not just towards women. Um, but you, I mean, you see it, you see it in society now. I mean, it's like we, we haven't evolved enough over 500 some odd years. Yeah. It's weird. Um, so the midwives part of this, it says midwives are especially singled out as wicked for their supposed ability to prevent conception or terminate a pregnancy by deliberate miscarriage. They also claim midwives tend to eat infants or, with live births, offer children to devils. Mm, yeah. So the manual asserts that witches make a formal pact with the devil and copulate with incubi, a form of devils who have the appearance of life through, quote, aerial bodies. It also asserts that witches can possess another person's body. Another assertion is that witches and devils can make male sexual organs disappear. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I wish most of y'all could see my face, <laughs> but <sighs> you know what this is? This is people. These are dudes that are very insecure with themselves. Oh, man. And they're like, I swear, last night it was bigger. A witch got a hold of me. <laughs> and the, I mean, it, it's half of what it was. This, this witch did it. The witch did it. She made it almost disappear. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. think? Do you think guys like in their mid-50s around this time were like uh, they would buy like these Big fancy carriages to roll around in. Yeah, right. And couldn't get a couldn't get a Corvette. A lift you know, kit. So, yeah. They put a big lift kit on their carriage. So giant tires on it and rolling through the street, sitting up high. And... So many of their sources of quote evidence for the weakness or wickedness of wives are with unintentional irony pagan writers like socrates cicero and homer they also drew heavily on writings of jerome augustine and thomas of aquinas so get some of these old quote pagan writers and then twist what they say and Mm. you know yeah use it to their advantage now let's look at the examinations and signs from the Malleus Maleficarum. 
Since detailed directions were given for examinations, one aspect was a physical examination looking for, quote, any instrument of witchcraft, end quote, which included marks on the body. So it was assumed most of the accused would be women for the reasons given above there. So the women were to be stripped in their cells by other women and examined for, quote, any instrument of witchcraft. Hair was to be shaved from their bodies so that devil's marks could be seen more easily. Um, how much hair was shaved, I guess, depended on who was doing the shaving and what area. How hairy they were. Yeah. I mean, um, it says these, quote, instruments could include both physical objects concealed and also bodily marks. Beyond such instruments, there were other signs by which the manual claimed a witch could be identified. For example, being unable to weep under torture or when before a judge was a sign of being a witch. So if you're just hardcore and oh, yeah. you're being tortured and you're like, I'm not crying for you. Oh, you're a witch. Mm -hmm. That's right. So hey, we've joked about this in other episodes about the whole well, you know, witches don't float, mm -hmm. or witches float, humans don't yeah. float. So if you sink and drown, well, you weren't a witch, but you're you, right. you're dead. So you're dead. It doesn't matter. She turned me into a newt. Mm -hmm. I got better. <laughs> <laughs> so there were references to the inability to drown or burn a witch who still had any objects of witchcraft concealed or who were under the protection of other witches. Thus, tests were justified to see if a woman could be drowned or burned. If she could be drowned or burned, she might be innocent. If she could not be, she was probably guilty. If she did drown or was su successfully burned, while that might be a sign of her innocence, she was not alive to enjoy the exoneration. So, oh, like we were just saying, I mean... Yeah, it, the this just continues to show the mentality of yeah. the, the people writing this crap at the time. It's like, well, how do we test? Hmm, <laughs> drown them. Yeah. What? Well, or do you think anybody at any point in time goes, well, what if we just kind of try to burn their finger? If we can burn their finger, then they're not a witch yeah. and we don't have to kill them. No, we got to burn, burn the whole person. Yeah. So put them on a stake and set them on fire. Well, uh, <laughs> sir, I, what if they're innocent? I don't care. Yeah. What? That was it. That was it right there. You hit it. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. Okay. For one reason, because they were terrified. Um, For another reason, because they, they're stupid. They're stupid and, and, and ignorance, ignorance breeds fear and, you know, fear can cause people to do some absolutely insane things. And that's, you know, we've talked about this before when we talked about the Salem witch trials, you know, fear was the driving force and behind that was ignorance and and an unwillingness to to learn or to listen um you know these these people thought we're we're right we're the ones we have to 
protect our our society and you're going to listen to us and you're going to obey us or we're going to punish you and so even the you know people were in fear of being involved or even being seen having a conversation with anyone who was a little strange who was a little off um you know some somebody that somebody might could might could go at, at any point in time I think she's a witch because the next thing you know, somebody else comes along and says, well, I saw, uh, you know, Goody Johnson over here talking to her mm-hmm. the other day. They're both witches. Right. And here, here you are. You were just trying to go buy some bread. Right. And now you're on trial for being a witch. So, I mean, every, everybody was just at a, at a time where, you know, education wasn't, um, necessarily lauded. Um, you know, people were poor. They were afraid. They were, uh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but anyway, well, uh, oppressed, mean, uh, that, you know, that was, that would be a good way to put it. They were oppressed. Yeah. You know, I guess and, to sum it up, if when you're stupid and scared, there's no limit to the insanity <laughs> that you will do. And I mean, it can be seen not just in this time, but throughout all time that when you get, when people are dumb and I don't, I don't even mean that derogatory in a derogatory way. I just mean if you are ignorant, so the the true definition of ignorant you you just have not been presented with the correct information. Right. Not that you have. It's like I used to used to say to people all the time, there's a difference between stupidity and ignorance. Ignorance is never being presented with the information to be able to understand it. Stupidity is being presented with the information and going, nah, that's not it. <laughs> so Ignorance in its true definition, when you are ignorant and scared, then all it does is compound the insanity and then it draws you away from other people around you. Yeah. So that's exactly what was happening during this time. Like Matt was saying, they they were ignorant to this information. They were being used by the people who wrote the Malleus Maleficarum that their ignorance on this topic was being used to mm-hmm. what end? I don't know. Just mass kill people. I don't know, mm-hmm. but they they were being used. And then that was a control mechanism because if they had you scared that they were going to come after you for witchcraft, guess what? You didn't talk to people. You didn't, right. You didn't want to be seen, like Matt said, buying a loaf of bread and talking to Goody Greta over here who might mm-hmm. be a little off, and then the whole town is on trial. So you just right. stayed to yourself. Right. You didn't ask questions. You didn't You didn't seek out knowledge because, especially at that time for a woman to be seeking knowledge, um, reading books, you know, what, what was available that would be considered suspect Mm -hmm. because that wasn't a part of their role. Mm -hmm. 
So we got to look at confessing witchcraft. So confessions were central to the process of investigating, and they don't have that in quotes, but I'm going to start putting investigating in quotes. Um, but it was central to the process of investigating and trying suspected witches and made a difference in the outcome for the accused. A witch could only be executed by the church authorities if she herself confessed, but she could be questioned and even tortured with the aim of getting a confession. Mm-hmm. So this was before um, your, uh, your rights and stuff. You know, they didn't have rights to not say anything, you know, mm-hmm. to plead the fifth or anything like that. And they just got tortured. But a witch who confessed quickly was said to have been abandoned by the devil. And those who kept a, quote, stubborn silence had the devil's protection. They were said to be more tightly bound to the devil. So torture was seen as essentially an exorcism. It was to be frequent and often, to proceed from gentle to harsh. And if the accused witch confessed under torture, however, she must also confess later while not being tortured for the confession to be valid. So yeah. it, if you were beating the brakes off of somebody and they went, I'm a witch, I'm, I'm, just, I'm a witch, you had to get them to say it again later. That's the only part of this that makes sense. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, people, people will, under, you know, under duress, people may confess to absolutely anything if it means you're going to stop. Right. And we've seen that in recent history and not with torture. We've seen right. people just in police interrogation. If the interrogation goes on so long and, and they're verbally badgering these people, yeah. they'll falsely confess to something that they weren't even in the state for. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a difference between it's psychological torture at that right. point. It's, it's right. not physical. Right. That's true. Now, if the accused continued to deny being a witch, even with torture, the church could not execute her. However, they could turn her over after a year or so to secular authorities who often had no such limitations. So if you didn't confess during torture and they kept you for a while, uh-huh. they could just go, um, well, we're going to hand you off to Bill and Pete over here. And, and Bill and Pete... They don't care. They, they'll just hang you. And that's usually mm-hmm. what happened. So if you were innocent and you held to your innocence and they didn't like it, they'd just send you off to somebody else who would hang you, burn you, or whatever. Right. Now, after confessing, if the accused then also renounced all heresy, the church could permit the penitent heretic, heretic to avoid a death sentence. So... I mean, it it happened. It was rare, but it happened where if you mm-hmm. renounced everything and said you'll be a different person and da 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 da, they could say, okay, well, and you, the devil is out of you. You can go on living after fifteen years or whatever of imprisonment <clears throat> and torture and whatever. We've done beat the hell out of you, literally. Right, right, right. pretty much. Um. So the prosecutors had permission to promise an unconfessed witch her life if she provided evidence of other witches. This would produce more cases to investigate. 
Those she implicated would then be subject to investigation and trial on the assumption that the evidence against them might have been a lie. So they go about it saying, yeah, it could have been a lie, but we're still going to torture you to find out because the investigation, the reason I want to put investigation in quotes is because their investigation is just yelling at people and torturing them. Mm -hmm. So it's not much of an investigation. But the prosecutor, in giving such a promise of her life, explicitly did not have to tell her the whole truth, that she could not be executed without a confession. So the prosecution also did not have to tell her that she could be imprisoned for life on bread and water after implicating others, even if she did not confess, or that secular law in some locales could still execute her. So people would implicate others in being witches, but never say they were, thinking mm -hmm. this would get them off, mm -hmm. but then they would be imprisoned on a bread and water treatment and sometimes even still executed. So it, it yeah. was a trick. Just because I mean, the, the church couldn't do it mm -hmm. without a confession didn't mean that the, the law of the land couldn't take it from there. And right. that happened a lot, too. Oh, sure. And just a little tidbit on the bread and water thing. I know for me, when I was younger and I heard bread and water as a torture, I thought, I like both of those things. Why is that torture? Mm -hmm. The problem is, and, and a lot of people probably don't know this, if you eat nothing but bread and water for weeks, months, it will turn into basically glue and then harden in your intestines. Mm -hmm. So it creates basically abdominal distress and yeah. could kill you mm -hmm. from being plugged up and backed up because it, it forms a paste and then it gets dried out and then you're just stuck. Yeah. So literally that, that's <laughs> what, yeah, that's why they did the bread and water thing is that was torture as well. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at procedures for trials and executions. So the third part of the Malleus Maleficarum deals with the goal of exterminating witches through trial and execution. The detailed guidance given was designed to separate false accusations from truthful ones. And again, got to be in quotes here. But... It was always assuming that witchcraft and harmful magic really existed rather than being a superstition. It also assumed that such witchcraft did real harm to individuals and undermined the church as a kind of heresy. One concern was about witnesses. What could be witnesses in a witchcraft case? Among those who could not be witnesses were, quote, quarrelsome women, presumably to avoid charges from those known to pick fights with neighbors and family. So basically, um, my grandmother's neighbor, before she moved, this, <laughs> this lady would quarrel with everybody on the street for nothing. My grandmother was in her mid to late 70s, and the lady saw her in a Tom Thumb and shoulder checked her. And this lady oh was... 50-something years old and a teacher. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So 
Speaking of beating the brakes off, glad I didn't want to go to jail. <laughs> so to keep going, uh, should the accused be informed of who had testified against them? Well, the answer was no, if there was a danger to the witnesses, but that the identity of witnesses should be known to the prosecuting lawyers and the judges. So was the accused to have an advocate? Well, an advocate could be appointed for the accused, though witness names could be withheld from the advocate. It was the judge, not the accused, who selected the advocate. So the advocate was charged with being both truthful and logical. So, in that sense, if the judge appoints the advocate for the accused, the accused doesn't get to pick them. That means you're going to get one of two things. You're going to get a biased advocate who is working for the judge, or you're going to get a dummy as an advocate mm -hmm. who doesn't know what the heck is going on and just, oh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll do that for you. I'll advocate for him. So very biased in that, uh, that advocate thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're gonna now. Now that you've you've heard all this, you're like, I thought we were going to talk about the Pendle witches. We're getting there. Um, understanding the mindset and and the, I guess if you call them regulations on how to proceed in one of these trials, it's helpful when you see how the trials of the Pendleton witches went down. Um, right. because a lot of this comes back up and you're like, why, why, why was this allowed? Well, because the, because all the regulations dictated that it could be done this way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's look at Adam. Let's look at the, the events that led up to the trials before we get into the details of the trials themselves. Now, you know, Adam led us off with the with the story of Allison Device that she had um, asked her familiar spirit to uh, curse uh, Mister Law, and he became paralyzed on one side. So, once they started this investigation, I think Adam used the term "snowballed." Um, Man, it, it 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 went it went fast from there. I mean, they they just kept kept uncovering more and more and and arresting more and more people. Now, it's important to understand what was going on specifically at the time in the area where the uh, the Pendle the uh, um, Pendle Hill area. Um, now, six of the 11 witches on the trial on trial came from two rival families, okay? They were the Demdike family and the Chaddix family, and they were both headed up by old, poverty-stricken widows, okay? Elizabeth Southerns, uh, who was also known as Old Demdike, and Ann Whittle, who was known as Mother Chaddix. Now, old Demdike had been known as a witch for 50 years. Mm. 50 years. People in this area knew that old Demdike was a witch. Right. 
It was just an accepted part of village life in the 16th century that there were village healers who practiced magic and dealt in herbs and medicines. Sure. That's, that's who you went to. There wasn't a, a local doctor. You know, you, you had an ailment, you went and saw, you know, a healer, a witch. And back then I would rather go see somebody who gave me herbs and remedies like that than a actual doctor because of the, the shape medicine was in at the time. <laughs> They'd bleed you to death. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, well, <laughs> you could either go to this healer. I mean, she's a witch. But you go to the healer and she'll give you some <laughs> lemon balm and catnip or yeah. come to me, a doctor, and I'll cut your leg off. I mean, which yeah. do you really want? You, I mean, it's like uh, a meme, you know, it's like, uh, you've got ghosts in your blood. Let's do cocaine about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, but as is the case so many times, frauds began to pose as witches and healers because of the money they could funnel from local villagers. Sure. It was a time when witchcraft was not only feared, but it fascinated everyone from common, common village folk all the way to King James. Mm -hmm. Now, James the first had been greatly interested in witchcraft even before he took the throne in 1603. He wrote a book called Demonology instructing his readers to condemn and prosecute both supporters and practitioners of witchcraft. Okay. Now this is outside of the, um, Malleus, um, Maleficarum. Yep. Yeah. The skepticism of the King became reflected in the feelings of unrest about witchcraft among the common people. The King's views were also imposed on the law. Now, each justice of the peace in Lancashire at the beginning of the year uh, 1612 was instructed to compile a list uh, a compile a list of all of those who refused to attend church or take communion, which at that time was a criminal offense. I, I like it. Yeah, go ahead. I just and the stuff that during that time was a criminal offense just gets me. I know it. I know it. So you you kind of understand how you know how people would be uptight about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Now the area of Lancashire was widely viewed as kind of wild and lawless. Okay, this was partly due to the area's devotion to the Catholic Church. Henry VIII's act of supremacy in 1534 which separated England from the Vatican influence also led to the closure of the, uh, I think it's, um, Cistercian Abbey. I think that's how you say it. There's too many C's in that word. <laughs> Cistercian, Cistercian Abbey, which was a monastery, uh, in Lancashire. And the people of Pendle Hill were, were pretty ticked off about it. I mean, you know, here they were, they were, they were devout Catholics, even though the law said that they could no longer practice Catholicism. And now the law is shutting down the monastery right there in, in their hometown. Now, when Queen Mary took the throne in 1553, Pendle Hill immediately reverted back to the, to Catholicism. So officials saw the people of Lancashire as those who 
honored the church, but understood very little about its doctrine. And it was this lack of understanding and the unease that comes with it that the judges exploited in their investigations and trials of the alleged witches. So, um, so Allison uh, confessed to Justice Noel that she had indeed told the devil to lame John Law. And it was after further questioning that Allison accused her grandmother, which was Old Demdike, Elizabeth Southerns, and also members of the Chaddix family of witchcraft. Now remember, the Demdikes and the Chaddix were like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Right. You know, they didn't like one another. So, you know, not only does Allison say, well, my grandmother's a witch. Everybody knows this. She says, there are also people in this other family that are witches too. So those accusations about the Chaddix family, it looked like an act of revenge. You know, it's like, well, we'll get you. Yeah. Now, as I said, the families had been feuding for years, um, especially since one of the Chaddix family had broken into Malkin Tower, which was the home of the Demdikes, and stole goods to the value of one pound which would be the equivalent of about 120 pounds now. Okay. So not a lot, but not a little either. Right. Okay. I mean, you really, these people were, were poverty stricken. I mean, they didn't, you know, they, they had to find a way to make, you know, any kind of whatever money they had to figure out a way. I mean, you, Allison was begging, um, when this, this all began. Mm-hmm. And I did. I told Adam I watched a lot of videos and struggled through um, a lot of people with Scottish accents uh, and me trying to follow what they were saying and understand it. And I'd have to go back and listen to it. I didn't catch that. What was that word? Um, but they talked about Malkin Tower, which sounds very regal and uh, Malkin Tower, you know. It wasn't. In fact, uh, like I said, these people were poor. Um, uh, one one interview I watched said that at the time, Malkin was akin to, uh, I won't say what he said, but it crap. So this would have been, it would have been like a slang term for crap. Um, crap tower is what mm. this would have been. So it, it wasn't some, you know, they didn't live in a castle. Okay. <laughs> it was just what they called it. Um, but beyond, beyond that, beyond the feud, because one of the, the Chaddixes had, uh, stolen from them, John device, who is Allison's father blamed the illness that led to his death on old mother child, uh, Chaddix who had threatened to harm his family if they didn't pay annually for their protection. Now, the Device family had paid the Chaddix family with, or, or old mother Chaddix with eight pounds of oatmeal a year up until the year prior to John Device's death. So she says, you pay, or I'm going to harm your family. They pay the eight pounds of oatmeal. The one year they do it, John Device dies at the end of that year. 
And it was on his deathbed that he accused um, old Chaddix as being the cause of his death. Now, the deaths of four other villagers that had occurred years before the trial were raised and the blame was laid on witchcraft performed by old, old, old mother Chaddix. Hmm. Now, James Demdike, who was Allison's brother, confessed that Allison had also cursed a local child sometime before. And Elizabeth, although more reserved in making accusations, confessed that her mother had a mark on her body supposedly where the devil had sucked her blood, which had caused her to go mad. So remember Adam talking about the, the instruments of the devil, uh, those body marks or things like this. This is, this is what they were looking for. This right. is why they would shave people down. And so Allison had said um, that her mother, Elizabeth, had one of these marks of the devil where the devil had sucked her blood. Right. Okay. So not, not only is she pointing to her as a witch, she's saying she's got the mark of the devil. Again, you got to realize Allison was a young woman and I'm sure was terrified. Sure. Not, not only was she terrified of the authorities in the church, she was terrified of her own abilities. You know, she believed in her powers. Right. And and it frightened her what she had been able to do, or at least what she thought she had been able to do. Now, on April 2nd, 1612, Dimdike, Chaddix, and Chaddix's daughter, Ann Redfern, were summoned to appear before Justice Noel. Both Dimdike and Chaddix were then at that time were blind in their 80s and both provided Noel with damaging confessions. Dimdike claimed that she had given her soul to the devil 20 years before. Hmm. And Chaddix said that she had given her soul to quote a thing like a Christian man on his promise that she would quote, not lack anything and would get any revenge she desired. Hmm. So Anne Redfern, who was uh, Mother Chaddix's daughter, was allegedly seen to create clay figures. And, uh, uh, okay, uh, that doesn't sound bad, but you got to understand, clay magic was a big deal, and clay magic is still practiced today used in healing a variety of ailments. And it's because clay is of the earth. And, you know, if you go back uh, and do some reading, clay is utilized in many religions' creation stories. You know, they breathed life into the dirt, into the clay. Um, so it, it's sometimes considered to be the artist's first medium. Um, so there's a lot of power in the clay and making these clay figures was something that only a witch would have done. Now, after hearing this evidence, the judge detained Allison Device, Ann Redfern, Old Demdike, and Old Chaddix in Lancaster Jail and set them for trial. Okay. 
Now, the story would have ended there. Okay? It would have just been those four. If it hadn't been for a meeting that was held at Malkin Tower by Elizabeth and James Device for um to discuss this situation. James stole a neighbor's sheep to provide a meal for all the attendees. Hmm. Uh, hey, look, they're still poor. Right. Okay. Right. And it just so happened that this particular meeting day was Good Friday. And so they, being trying to be secret but good Catholics, um, you know, they were going to gather at, on Good Friday. They were going to have a meal. And so he stole this sheep from a neighbor. Um, to feed everybody that was there. Now, those that were sympathetic to the family attended, but word reached the judge who felt compelled to investigate. On April 27, 1612, an inquiry was uh, held before Noel and another magistrate, Nicholas Bannister, to determine the purpose of this meeting at Malkin Tower. Who had attended the meeting? And what happened there? As a result, a further eight people were summoned for questioning and then trial. Elizabeth Device, James Device, Alice Nutter, Catherine Hewitt, John Bullcock, Jane Bullcock, Alice Gray, and Jeanette Preston. So we've we've just ballooned from four to twelve. Mm-hmm. So Jeanette Preston was the first tried on July 27, 1612. Now, Preston lived in Gisborne, which was then in Yorkshire, and she was sent to the York um, Assizes for her trial. Her judges were Sir James Altham and Sir Edward Bromley. Now, Jeanette was charged with the murder by witchcraft of a local landowner, Thomas Lister, of Westby Hall, to which she pled not guilty. Now, she had already appeared before Bromley in 1611, accused of murdering a child by witchcraft, but had been found not guilty. So, so Jeanette Preston, had. it's a situation where she was actually accused and acquitted mm-hmm. of witchcraft a year earlier, which we'd already determined didn't happen very often. But this is evidence that it it did happen, right? You know they 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 did they didn't present enough evidence to, um, to the church to say, yep, this lady's a witch and needs to be found guilty and executed. So they let her go. Yeah, like you said, that's not common, and obviously they didn't have the thing. Once you've been found innocent of a crime, you can't be tried again for that same crime. Oh. Yeah, but it's, this would have been a different crime. Oh, yeah, so, that's true. So you can't kill once and get away with it and then kill whoever you like. Right. <laughs> that would be terrible. The most damning evidence given against her was that when she had been taken to see Lister's body, the man that she was accused of killing, it was said that when Preston touched the body, it began to bleed fresh blood an event that was witnessed by several people. According to a statement made by Noel, um, according to a statement made to Judge Noel by James Device on April 27th, 
Jeanette had attended the Malkin Tower meeting to seek help with Lister's murder. She was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging, and her execution took place two days later on July 29th. They didn't. They didn't waste any time. Yeah, that, that's that's not screwing around. That's yep. So Jeanette Preston was the first one tried, first one found guilty, and the first one executed uh, for the murder of uh, Thomas Lister. Now the remaining trials were held at Lancaster between the seventeenth and nineteenth of August, sixteen twelve, with the judges once again being Altham and Bromley and the prosecutor being Roger Knoll. Ann Whittle, again, that's, that's old Chaddix, was accused of the murder of Robert Nutter. Now, she pled not guilty, but the confession she had made to Roger Knoll, most likely under torture, was read out in court, and evidence against her was pre- presented by one James Robinson, who had lived with the Chaddix family 20 years earlier. He claimed to remember that Nutter had accused Chaddix of turning his beer sour and that she was commonly believed to be a witch. Okay. So, so she made my beer sour and everybody thought she was a witch. Right. So hang her. Yeah. What? That's, I mean, that that's pretty much what, what he said. <laughs> but it, even with that flimsy evidence, Chaddix broke down and admitted her guilt, calling on God for forgiveness and the judges to be merciful to her daughter, Ann Redfern. And the daughter's going, why are you bringing my name into this, woman? <laughs> I, I wasn't even on she, trial she here. She was already there. She was yeah. already there. <laughs> they, they already knew they were going after her, and she knew they would. Yeah. But maybe she was hoping that her confession would save her daughter. Well, it's remember, like the, she's old. Yeah, I mean, like the Malleus said, uh, if you confess and are penitent, then they can let you off. Right. But you got to remember, um, Chaddix was old. You know, Ann Whittle was old, um, probably in her 80s. She was blind. You know, she'd lived a long life. Um, all she really wanted to see was that was her daughter um, be shown some mercy and not executed. Mm-hmm. Now, nine-year-old Jeanette Device, you're going to see, I'm going to repeat names. I'm not talking about the same person. Okay. It was like, it's like they had a list of names and surnames. And that's what everybody got, you know, because yep. there wasn't a lot of variation. Five surnames and then eight <laughs> first names. <laughs> that's it. That's what you had to choose from. And they, they had them on dice and they would roll the <laughs> dice. And that was your name. That's it. Yeah. This came so, up. Tom Thomas. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but you're stuck with that one. It's bad. I know. Yeah. But. yeah it's terrible, but you you got it. Tom Thomas. That's the dice. I mean, yep. Tom, Tom. You know, just think you could have been Thomas Thomas mm-hmm. or even worse, Thomas out. Tom. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would have been just stupid. So you lucked out with this one. But it was nine-year-old Jeanette Device, um, who was a key supplier of evidence for the Pendle Witches trial, 
which was allowed under the system from King James. All normal rules of evidence could be suspended for witch trials. You remember uh, when Adam was talking about earlier the uh, Malay, what is, you got to say it, Malayalus uh, Maleficarum? Malleus Maleficarum. Malleus Maleficarum. In that, it said that it didn't, anyone could provide evidence in a witch trial. It didn't matter who you were or what your qualifications were, you could present evidence. So in this case, a nine-year-old girl was able and allowed to present evidence, and hers was, you know, the most effective. Because normally, someone at age nine wouldn't have been allowed to be a witness. No. So Jeanette gave evidence you know against some of the some of the crazy things nine year olds say. Oh I yeah, mean, Michael when he was nine he could come up. I mean he still does and he's eleven, but he can come up with some wild stuff to say. Oh yeah, and yeah. you're gonna put a nine year old on the stand. I mean their brains aren't even fully developed yet. That's right. Piper Piper does it. You know she's ten, but Brooks did it. Yeah, he still does. He's thirteen. <laughs> yeah, right. So Jeanette gave evidence against those who attended the meeting at Malkin Tower, but also against her mother, her sister, and her brother. So hey, you know, this little this little turncoat, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, gave everybody up. Well, and I mean that that proves one of the things that I've, I've told Michael before, and I've said to other people before is the frontal part of your brain is not fully developed until in your 20s. Mm-hmm. And that part of your brain is the part of your brain that allows you to understand long-term consequences of your decisions. Yeah. Un- until your mid-20s or so, that part of your brain is not fully developed. So as a nine-year-old, where it's far from being fully developed, she doesn't see the long-term ramifications of saying that she just, she's on the stand. She's scared. And they're like, you know, anybody else? And she's like, well, yeah, my mom, my brother, my sister, the goat, my horses. (laughs) And she doesn't realize that by saying this, she's condemning them to death. Yeah. And And how easy would it have been? Yeah, how easy would it have been to convince a nine-year-old? You just have to tell us what you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna. Everybody's gonna get to go home. We just need you to yep. stand up here and tell the truth. Yep. You know exactly. And, and I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you can't imagine that she wasn't manipulated in some oh, yeah. aspect. Absolutely was. So now Elizabeth Device, that's Jeanette's mother. Okay was charged with the murders of James Robinson, a different James Robinson, John Robinson, and together with Alice Nutter and Demdike, the murder of Mr. Henry Mitten. Okay? So, two murders on her own, and then one where she conspired with Alice Nutter and old Demdike um, to murder Henry Mitten. Elizabeth Device vehemently maintained her innocence. And when Jeanette gave evidence against Elizabeth, she had to be removed from the court 
screaming and cursing her daughter. Yeah. So the uh, she hadn't even really gotten into any evidence yet. And so they had to remove Elizabeth from the courtroom. I mean, how would you react if your own child, especially a nine-year-old child, was, was coerced was, into saying it? Exactly. So once Elizabeth had been removed from the court, Jeanette's testimony continued. It says Jeanette was placed on a table and stated that she believed her mother had been a witch for three or four years. She also said her mother had a familiar called Ball who appeared in the shape of a brown dog. Jeanette claimed to have witnessed conversations between Ball and her mother in which Ball had been asked to help with various murders. James Device also gave evidence against his mother, saying he had seen her making a clay figure of one of her victims, John Robinson. Elizabeth right. Device was found guilty. Jeez. Yeah. Now, James Device, James Device, this is Elizabeth's son, Allison's brother. Okay. James Device pleaded not guilty to the murders by witchcraft of Ann Townley and John Duckworth. However, he, like Chaddix, had earlier made a confession to Noel, which was read out in court. That, and the evidence presented against him by his sister Jeanette, who said that she had seen her brother asking a black dog he had conjured up to kill, uh, to help him kill Townley, was enough to persuade the jury to find him guilty. Well, yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, here, now you've got a story that not only is he talking to a dog, you know, with a, a familiar spirit, that he actually conjured this dog up and asked him specifically to help him kill Mr. Townley or, or Miss Townley. Yeah. <laughs> so they found him guilty. Now, let's go back to Ann Redfern. Remember, Ann Redfern was old Chaddix's daughter. So Ann Redfern was also charged in the murder of Robert Nutter, uh, but the evidence against her was considered unsatisfactory and she was acquitted. But Redfern was not so fortunate the following day when she faced her second trial for the murder of Robert Nutter's father, Christopher, to which she pled not guilty. Now, old Demdike's statement to Noel which accused Anne of having made clay figures of the Nutter family, was read out in court. Witnesses were called to testify that Anne was a witch, quote, more dangerous than her mother. But Redfern refused to admit her guilt to the very end and had given no evidence against any others of the, any others of the accused. But Anne Redfern was found guilty. Of course. Now, we we had two that we mentioned that we hadn't talked about till till now. Jane Bullcock and her son John Bullcock. They were both from New Church in Pendle, and they were accused and found guilty of the murder by witchcraft of Jeanette Dean. See, here's another Jeanette. That was a very common name. Both denied that they had attended the meeting at Malkin Tower, but of course Jeanette Device identified Jane as having been one of those present, and John had been turning the spit 
to roast the stolen sheep, which was the centerpiece of the Good Friday meeting at the Dimdike's home. Huh. So if anybody ever steals a sheep and you're going to cook it, don't help cook it. Right. Because if you help cook it, you you're could be witch. accused of witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you just have to laugh. I mean, that is just. At this uh, point, yeah. I mean, we're we're so many hundreds of years beyond this we can laugh about it but it's still it's it's ridiculous mm-hmm. it's absolutely ridiculous but remember i made i made a, a comment earlier uh in the show about even if you were just seen associating with somebody that would eventually be accused of witchcraft it could come back on you mm-hmm. that you know, these folks were just, they were, they were in support of, of their friends and neighbors. You know, they, they didn't want to see this happen to them. And of course, old Dimdike had been basically the, the, the healer for that village for 50 years. Right. So here they come just in support. And now, uh, they're both condemned of being witches. Um, just because they were at this meeting and, you know, of course we got to find, find somebody that died. Okay. We can accuse them of, of this death. Yeah. You notice that's why they all played out. They were all accused of some type of murder right? or a conspiracy to commit murder um, by witchcraft. Now, Alice Nutter was unusual among the accused and being comparatively wealthy. She was the widow of a tenant yeoman farmer. She made no statement either before or during her trial, except to enter her plea of not guilty to the charge of murdering Henry Mitten by witchcraft. Now, this is the same Henry Mitten from earlier. The prosecution alleged that she, together with Dimdike and Elizabeth Device, had caused Mitten's death after he refused to give Dimdike a penny that she had begged from him. The only evidence against Alice Nutter seems to have been that James Device claimed Demdike had told him of the murder and that and Jeanette Device in her statement said that Alice had been present at the Malkin Tower meeting. Alice may have stopped in on the meeting at Malkin Tower on her way to a secret and of course illegal Good Friday Catholic Church service and refused to speak any further because she was afraid she would incriminate her fellow Catholics. Many of the Nutter family were Catholics and two of them had been executed as Jesuit priests, John Nutter in 1584 and his brother Robert in 1600. Alice Nutter was also found guilty. And, you know, this is one that she's just, she's guilty by association. Right. Now, Catherine Hewitt was charged and found guilty of the murder of Anne Folds. She was the wife of a clothier from Cologne and had attended the meeting at Malkin Tower with Alice Gray. According to the evidence given by James Device, both Hewitt and Gray told the others at the meeting that they had killed a child from Cologne. And her name was Ann Folds. 
Jeanette Device also picked Catherine out of a lineup and confirmed her attendance at the Malkin Tower meeting. Now, some of the Pendle witches seem to be genuinely convinced of their guilt. Like Allison. Allison was convinced that her powers were real and that she had had something to do with, uh, with John, uh, John Law's affliction. Others uh, fought to clear their names. Allison Device was one of those who believed in her own powers, and she was also the only one on trial who was faced with one of her victims, John Law. He said when John entered the court, it was documented that Allison fell to her knees, confessed, and burst into tears. So Allison was also found guilty. So if you're keeping score at home, nine of the accused, Allison Device, Elizabeth Device, James Device, Ann Whittle, Ann Redfern, Alice Nutter, Catherine Hewitt, James Bullcock, and Jane Bullcock were all found guilty during the two-day trial and hanged at Gallows Hill in Lancaster on August 20th, 1612. Elizabeth Southerns, also known as Old Demdike, never reached the trial. The dark, dank dungeon in which they were imprisoned proved to be too much for her, and she died while awaiting trial. Only one of the accused, Alice Gray, was found not guilty. And we have such detailed information about the Pendle Witch Trials thanks to Thomas Potts, who was the clerk to the court who wrote the official publication of the proceedings entitled The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster. Um, it's The majority of the information I presented um, came from a synopsis of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, going through the details. Of, you know, we, I, had, I already had amassed a lot of information about, well, they were accused and found guilty. Eh, this one was accused and found guilty. But by finding this synopsis, I was able to get a little bit more detail of who they were accused of murdering, what their involvement was, who their accusers were, what evidence was presented against them. Um, so, like I said, I, we found a lot more than I had ever known about the Pendle Witch Trials. Um, and it's it's amazing and uh, that we have that much detailed information. Oh yeah. It's, it's incredible that something like this actually happened. Um, but we saw it in, in the United States with the Salem witch trials. Um, you know, and, and it was, uh, you know, around the same time, you know, this was, this was happening in different parts all over, um, mm-hmm. you know, o- other parts of Europe, just not, not just England, you know, Adam and I have mentioned that, you know, not only were there, their witch, uh, hunters, but you know there were vampire hunters and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, that you know it was it was all led by by fear and ignorance. Um, you know a a dark time in in history for sure. Um, but it's it's just incredible. But my question is, how much of it is true? I mean. Some of these women, they immediately opened up and said, yeah, I'm a witch. Mm-hmm. 
you know, openly confessed. So it wasn't necessarily that it was just somebody, oh, well, you know, you were, you were talking to so-and-so, so you must be a witch. Um, or we saw you with a dog. You, that must be your familiar. Um, it was way beyond that. Um, we saw where old Demdike was a practicing witch for 50 years. Yeah, I'm sure so, that a small percentage of those that were accused actually were practicing witches and all that. And I, I think there, there probably was some of them that got put on trial and they confessed to it. I think yeah. there's probably some that were practicing witches that were found innocent and mm-hmm. all that and went on. But I think most of it was ignorant hysteria. I think it was a lot like the Salem witch trials yeah, where it was just people with more power than brain cells. Yeah. And they just ran with that. But even for the people that openly confessed, yes, I'm a witch. Um, they weren't doing anything wrong. Right, right. They were helping. Right. I mean, you know, they they were healers. They weren't. Now, I say this like I know one of them. You know, <laughs> they they weren't cursing, you know, people and murdering people. Now, could they? Yeah, I'm sure they could. Did some of them do that? I would I would almost guarantee it. Um but in 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 such cases uh, the evidence that was presented, especially in these murders, was so flimsy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and hearsay for the most part, especially if if your star witness is a nine year old girl. Yeah, no. Doubt. Um, it it you know it it really makes you think. Okay, you know, it. it it's not that there were so many innocent people that weren't witches that were killed. My opinion, it's man, these witches got a bad rap. Um, because they, they were not, they were not to be feared. They were to be respected. Right. You know, they, they had knowledge, um, well beyond what was typical for that time, you know, knowledge of, of herbs, you know, medicinals, uh, elixirs, things that could help. Um, and that's what they did. But yet, even still, you saw old Dimdike, she was poor. I mean, these people were poor. Everyone wasn't was poor. profiting off of her gift. Certainly, basically. certainly not. And, and at the time, you know, I, I said earlier, there were a lot of charlatans out there that were trying to profit. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to get rich? Oh, you want to meet this woman? You you want to you want to marry this pretty lady? Here, get her to drink this, you know, and she'll fall madly in love with you. It's only going to cost, you know, 20 quid or how many yeah. pence or whatever. I don't I don't I don't well, know all the the monetary names. Um, but I mean, those people were running amok. Now, well, probably not like in Pendle Hill. Um, but in other areas of the country, it's like we've said before that uh, even to this day, if you've got the 
magician, the psychic, the fortune teller that's doing it on TV, that's less believable yeah. than the people that are not trying to profit off of it. If if you're and same way with Bigfoot and UFO witnesses. If they immediately go out and start getting trying to get attention for it, write a book or get on TV, you got to look at that a little more skeptically than just the person who saw Bigfoot and only tells their family and they're not trying to make money off of it or anything. So I think in it's been that way for millennia. Yeah. That if you're trying to profit off of your quote gift, you may not your gift may not be all it's cut out to be. Right. I love talking about this to people and then bringing up something like, have you ever put uh, wet tobacco on a bee sting? Um, you know, you, you ever, you know, use, use mint leaves for, to help heartburn or anything like that. You'd, you'd have been a witch. You'd have been a witch back then. Yeah. Um, well, the herbalism you, that I did for so yeah. long, I would have been considered a, a witch. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I consider you a witch anyway. Yeah. I um, mean, it happens. Most people do. <laughs> uh, but you think about it. Pharmacists, apothecary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're blending medications. You know, you you would have you would have been a witch. Yep. You know, and, and nowadays it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, oh, that's just oh, it's just an old home remedy. It came from somewhere, and chances are it came from somebody who maybe even if not publicly thought of themselves as a witch. Um, Well, like because you know the term witch didn't mean you were going to fly on broomsticks and cackle and right wear pointed hats. You know. Well, think about okay, aspirin is salicylic acid, right? Okay, so the quote pagan. Start of that is that Native Americans and um, I, I feel I think in the Amazon as well, the bark of the white willow tree contains salicylin. When that is metabolized in your body, it becomes salicylic acid, mm-hmm. which is aspirin. So for centuries. Native Americans and others would chew white willow bark, make it into a tea. They would make it into a poultice and put it on a wound, and it would have aspirin-like effects. Right. Then modern technology came along, and they started synthesizing salicylic acid, putting it in pill form and saying, here, do this. It's better. Mm -hmm. Well, they got that from a, quote, heretical, quote, pagan thing of mixing all these herbs and everything and it's recently been proven that white willow bark is more easily digestible and for those that have allergens to aspirin a lot of times they can get away with white willow yeah Yeah. because modern medicine then put a lot of crap into it and that's changed it but it's it's that like you were saying. Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Well, most of our modern medication comes from an old source, like right. what would be considered witchcraft. Of I'm going to go see 
the local witch on the corner because I've got a sprained elbow. She's going to rub some goo on me and it gets better. That goo probably had white willow bark in it or yeah. something similar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So just, uh, you know, a, a great story. Um, you know, so much detail. Uh, and it just, it, it leads to so much discussion. Um, we, we, we couldn't even get into all of it, you know, in one show. Um, but I really enjoyed learning more about the Pendle Witch Trials, and we hope that uh, you guys have enjoyed this too. Um, remember, you can let us know if you have any history of, of witches or witchcraft in your family. We're not going to condemn you for it. <laughs> um, I have several friends that are witches. Um, and, you know, in fact, I was talking to one earlier tonight. Um, but let us know, you know, if you've got a, you know, a, you yourself or a, maybe a, a great grandmother who was considered a witch or had, you know, did home remedies. I say, quote, home remedies. Uh, let us know. We'd love to hear it. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. It's called The Graveyard. Um, we've got thousands of members in there it is extraordinarily active and it is a safe place you can come and share those stories uh and know that you're not going to be made fun of or harassed or call a kook or anything else um put on trial for witchcraft that's right like not that. not not in the graveyard we just we want to hear these great stories um and that's why we're here and after that you can go and check out our website which is graveyardpodcast.com and there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And and thank you to everyone who has donated their hard-earned oh, yeah. money to uh, the work that Adam and I do. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the charts. It just makes it easier for people to find us. And that just brings more folks into the graveyard. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.